Well, again, thank you guys so much for coming to Capital City Church. We're so glad to have you. Um, if you're here tonight, and, and as well as last week, you're seeing something a little bit different. Um, so if you want to see me in, my, in sort of my more comfortable, normal element, what I love to do is take a long-form narrative from the Bible. Think of the kind of the stories you went through in like if you ever read a children's Bible when you were young. I love to take those kinds of stories and then just thoroughly dig into history and, and relive it so that we almost feel like we're present there and tell that story in a long-form narrative. That's kind of one of my things to do. Uh, but last week and this week, we're not doing that. Um, so we spent five or six weeks in Daniel, and that was great. I really enjoyed going through the series. But afterward, I thought, you know, we've, we've done five or six weeks of kind of similar themes. I want to do two really, like, front-loaded weeks on what, what we consider at Capital City Church. What are the marks of a disciple of Jesus? What do we really want to be growing in people? So uh, that's why we're, we're doing something a little bit different today. We're going to be doing a topical sermon. Um, if you were with us last week, we talked about what it meant to follow Jesus in his outward character. What, what, did it mean, what does it mean to live like Jesus toward those who are the marginalized, toward the poor? Just like you heard Joshua talking about feeding the homeless. Uh, how can we do that like Jesus did? Uh, and today we're going to be talking about Jesus' inner life, kind of his, his spiritual disciplines. So I've titled this Spiritual Disciplines in an Undisciplined Age. Uh, let me read two uh, short passages of scripture here. First is from Luke 5. But now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And there's another one here from Mark 1. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also, for this is why I came out. So, the reason I decided to preach on this uh, after last week is that uh, I'd been thinking a lot about noise. It's kind of a strange way to start a sermon, right? I've been thinking this week a lot about noise. The average American in the year 2002, which for many of us in this room, we remember the year 2002, not very long ago. Uh, but the average American in that year consumed 50 hours of media per week. So that's TV, radio, any kind of media format. Um, many of you might have been kind of above or below that, but that's an average that I'd say most of us at least were somewhat in that ballpark. And that's already kind of shocking. It's already unprecedented in human history. Most, most humans throughout most of history had about, you know, maybe they'd hear a story at a, at a campfire, they'd hear stories around the dinner table, maybe five or ten hours total of media. Maybe they could read, most humans couldn't. Um, so we're talking, this is already unprecedented in human history. But do you know what the average is today? Any, any, any takers? Any guesses? Uh, it's 80 hours of media per week. So that's, I mean, there are 168 hours in the week, including the hours you sleep, and you sleep a third of your life, okay? So there's 168 hours in the week, and we're spending about fully half of the, the, the hours in the week uh, it's consuming some kind of media. And so in this room, we might do, I, said, I, I imagine this room, we do a little bit better than average on your standard TV watching, like when someone's just turning on the TV to watch a channel or whatever. We probably do better than that. I know we have some cord cutters in here. 
Uh, but we're probably on par with uh, Netflix, other streaming services, and we're probably above average on podcasts, audiobooks, and other kind of usage. Now, of course, some media are definitely more beneficial than others, like listening to an instructive podcast versus like watching R Survivor or something, you know, it's just like the worst human tendencies, right? Not, this is not a dig on any of you if you watch that, by the way. Uh, there is a time and place for rest. Anyway, um, but it's still, it's still media. It's an unplugging of your own thought process, of your own possibility for silence and thought, and you're instead plugging your mind into somebody else's voice, somebody else's thought, and you're allowing yourself to sort of shut down and be led by another. And worst of all of this, this 80 hours is what it crowds out. Because if there's only 168 hours in the week, you can't just add, I mean, we added 30 hours of media consumption in the life of many of us in this room. Like I remember my good friend David Moore, you can raise your hand, I grew up with him in Litchfield, Minnesota, and we were buddies in 2002. Like I have very specific memories. And just since that time, since I, like, I was almost an adult, I remember that year, just since that time we've almost doubled in our media usage. And you don't, you don't get that kind of, uh, addition of time expenditure without also losing a lot. And it's alarming to see what we're losing in order to spend more time alone consuming media at home. Avito was talking earlier about uh, video game consumption, that there's a time and place for it, but normally it's alone in your basement rather than being out with other people. And that can lead to unhealthy behaviors. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. David Moore, so exciting. No, uh, all right. <laughs> Um, some of the things we're losing is conversation with others. I remember my dad and mom telling me stories about growing up on the farm when they still had like the party telephone lines and like you maybe had one TV with two channels. Uh, and they'd tell these stories about having to keep the house clean and having enough food on hand because literally every night it was very likely that someone would just show up to your house with their whole family in tow and it was like, let's hang out. And there was no like, there's no call beforehand. There was no letter. They would just show up with five or six people and expect to be entertained. And it wasn't selfish. It was just like, let's all be together. Let's all hang out. That's just how it was even when my own parents were young. Our social fabric has been falling apart. You guys have heard me kind of rail on that some. Uh, the television, internet, smartphones, apps, all of this has taken our time with other people down quite a bit. And this is even, I, I was shocked to read this. Uh, let's see how to talk about this. Um, Sociologists who study marriage have studied uh, marital intimacy, uh, and they have described that over the last 20 or 30 years, the, you could just say the amount at which married couples spend married time together, the number, is significantly lower now than it was even 30 or 40 years ago. And what's really alarming them, these are just you know, completely non-religious you know, sociologists and psychologists who are looking into this, but what really alarms them is that they only see this kind of behavior during a famine or during a war, but we're going through neither, of course, right now. And the, the thing is, after a famine or a war, those numbers correct, but we're not in a famine or a war, and yet those numbers are going down. And so you're looking at the, the societal cost of what, what's happening to us. Um, but most striking, in my opinion, is that this time where we used to be um, maybe silent or still, that there would be these moments where we actually could just sit and, and collect our own thoughts, a lot of people would use those for prayer or just to hear their own mind tick, uh, to hear their own voice. Um, I remember... Uh, again, another memory maybe from high school is when I used to hang out with friends, I remember if you were all just sitting around by a lake or just walking and someone had to run in and like, I don't know, go inside for a second, you would just sit there and there was no like smartphone to grab. There was no like feed to check into. You would just sit and wait for them to come back. And <laughs> while you waited, you would think about things 
you might have a great, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, um, eureka moment, right? You might think of the great thing that's going to change your life, or you might just process your own thoughts, or you might think about the conversation you were just having or that you're about to have, rather than just, what is, you know, what does this media zeitgeist say about the current moment? Um, so again, last week we were talking about our life, uh, what, how Jesus cared for the poor, how he cared for the marginalized and the oppressed. Uh, I made a well, I, I don't want to get into it because it'll take too long, but um, we were looking at how Jesus spent his time toward uh, those who aren't fortunate in life. And I, I made the argument that to be a Christian, to be a follower and, and a disciple of Jesus isn't just to sort of pray a prayer, intellectually assent to the fact that he is who he said he was, and then go on living in your own way. It's actually to follow Jesus in the example that he made. If he says, go and care for the weak, the poor, the suffering, we actually have to do that to be his follower. Not that that's how we're made just, but we do have to follow Jesus in his example. Um, and in the same way, we want to follow Jesus in his inner life. What does he model for us in how he lived when he was seeking his own solitude, his own prayer time? I'm, I'm bringing this up because our main goal at Capital City Church is to make more disciples and followers of Jesus, not just to make people who are like, yes, I intellectually agree that he is uh, the Son of God who died for us and rose on the third day. Like I was saying last week, I know... Uh, Shockingly, more, more than you'd think, I know uh, a few Satanists, and they also believe Jesus is the Son of God who died again, or died and rose again on the third day for our sins. They just hate him for it, but they do believe that. But it doesn't mean that they're followers just because they intellectually click a box. Um, so our goal is to create and, and, and form disciples and followers of Jesus, not just people who clutch an imaginary ticket to heaven, but people who want to follow him, both in the easy and the hard things about being a Christian. We want disciples and little Christs. Um, the Apostle Paul, Saint Paul, for whom our city is named, tells us to be imitators of Christ. And we can't imitate Christ unless we imitate him. So I was thinking this week about how he responded to noise and uh, what Jesus' inner disciplines looked like, what his inner prayer life looked like. Uh, there are three overarching categories of how Jesus spent his life, his public ministry, his time. Uh, the first one, I think m many people would name this first, is that you see him healing, teaching, and preaching. And if you think about the church today, I think the church, though, you know, might miss some of this. Um, we at least are aware of this, and we do this pretty well. We, we do our best to heal, teach, and preach. That's kind of part of the mission of the church. Second thing that Jesus did is that you would see him drawing back and interpreting the events, the teachings that he had just given. You'd see him interpreting those with his disciples and kind of doing a smaller group discipleship-based thing. Uh, some ministries do better at this than others, like the Navigators, if you've heard of that, a college ministry tends to be really good at this kind of thing, discipling smaller groups of people to, to you know, raise them up in the faith. Uh, crew does a great job as well. We have some crew employees here, I wanted to say that. Uh, I was just talking with someone the other day about the Nav, so it was in my head. Um, and I'd say that the church does an okay job at this, but I honestly think a lot of parachurch ministries do a better job at uh, discipling as a focus. And the third way that Jesus spent his public ministry and time was that he would draw away, he would be alone to go pray to the Father. Uh, he would purposefully leave, he would actually leave moments of ministry to go find solitude and silence to be with God. And if you pay uh, attention to how much time he spent doing it, it's just, it's surprising. And I think when you look at the early church, they kind of had all of these down, but that as you go through time, I think the American church is largely lacking in that third category. What does it mean to have that inner prayer life, that solitude with God? I was, uh, yeah, it was just it's so weird. I don't know 
I think most of you are probably in your 20s or above here, and I think a lot of you will remember what it was like to actually have moments of solitude where you would think about something and maybe pray about it in the moment, or just, or just think through it and have some mental quiet. Um, but that's not what we have today, especially if you have a smartphone, which most of us do. Uh, as I was thinking about noise, I thought about a book called the screw tape letters. And has anyone heard about this book here? It's kind of a kind of a classic, yeah. So I, I I joke, I kid with myself about not quoting C.S. Lewis too often, but he's sort of my intellectual gateway into like becoming a reader. I wasn't much of a reader before, um, so his his presence is always looming large in my mind. And uh, he he, uh, if, in case you don't know who he is, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. A lot of people have heard of that. He also wrote like some heavy academic literature about the Renaissance and medieval literature. Um, and then he wrote a lot of kind of middle-range philosophical, theological books as well. He's probably one of the most influential Christian writers of the past century. And he wrote a book in the early 1940s that just exploded on the world scene. And it was called this the same book, The Screw Tape Letters. And the reason it was so scandalous is that nobody in history had ever really written a book from this vantage point, from this perspective before. Uh, he wrote it from the perspective of a lowly demon, like a, like a little devil, like a lowly demon in hell, uh, writing letters up to kind of a really higher up demon, all the, they, all, the number, all the highers and lowers are switched. So he was a very low demon and the lower archy was the powerful one. I'll just use our normal words for it. The high demon was the, the big one. And uh, what's interesting is all that we get to see are the answers from like the more important demon. Uh, and so they're letters from screw tape, the screw tape letters. And essentially what they're corresponding about is how to destroy a man's faith in God and deconvert somebody who had just entered the church. And so this lowly demon is kind of given his first assignment, like, hey, there's someone who just became a Christian, go like screw up his whole faith in his life. And that's what the book is about, is seeing these letters back from screw tape, the, the, the higher, the more important demon. It's just a really, it's a fascinating lens into what it means to be a human being. And people loved it. You know, Christians, non-Christians, you know, secular people, atheists, everyone was reading it because it was so profound as to what it said about faith and life and what it meant just to be a human. And uh, in one really telling letter, this higher demon writes that the younger one need not be distressed with trying to sort of debate the new believer out of his faith. Like, he, he didn't need to worry about using anything, like any sort of rational argument, because whenever he was in the rational or the argumentative side of that, that man, he was actually playing on enemy ground, so to speak. That anything real, anything rational, anything that involves thought is essentially it leads you back to a good spot because God actually created us to do those very things. And so this senior demon is writing this counsel. He says, whenever you let a human think at all, you're already kind of losing because God gave him that ability to do that. So what you want to do is keep him from thinking at all. What you want to do is distract him. You don't need to win. You don't need to debate him out of these points. What you need to do is just keep him from thinking about it. And then you've won through distraction. And uh, I laugh when I read it because this was in the 1940s that he wrote that. So like, I don't know what kind of noise they had in the 1940s <laughs> compared to now. I mean, you turn on the radio and it was like the local symphony, you know, or the news. And it's just, it was not at all like what we have now. But uh, it was this very great section. I'm, I'm quoting at length from this book because I think it has so much to say about this topic. Um, the senior demon quotes, or he, he goes on about how he hates two things. Let me read a paragraph from the book. So remember, this is the senior demon speaking. He says, music and silence, how I detest them both. How thankful we should be that ever since our father entered hell, so Satan, 
Uh, No square inch of infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces, but all has been occupied by noise. Noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and virile. Noise, which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. But I admit we are not yet loud enough or anything like it. Research is in progress. And I was, uh, I was looking into this book, and Lewis later said, so the author said, that was, he never had an easier time in his whole life writing a book. Not any of the tales of the lion and Narnia. This was the easiest book he ever wrote because inspiration for how our faith could be corrupted was all around him as to the, the, the worldly forces that were pulling him away from a, a right relationship with God. Uh, that, that inspiration was all around him. But he also said it was the grayest, it was the darkest book he ever wrote and it actually messed with his own psychology while he was writing it, and that's largely why he never really uh, went back into that for multiple rounds. Anyway, uh, I would recommend that book. I don't normally recommend books during a sermon, but uh, it's very instructive. I think as you think about noise and distraction, uh, it's helpful. Um, One of the most effective weapons, I think, in ruining someone's life of faith, or even just their peace, their mental calm, is noise. It's distraction. Because whenever you think you're actually kind of on God's turf, you're actually heading toward him in some way or another, at least using the faculties that he gave you, even if it's to argue against him. But distraction is essentially anti-human, right? It's okay to be distracted sometimes, but to give ourselves over to uh, addiction, in a sense, to media, is giving ourselves over to... um, I won't say to evil, but definitely to, not to the gifts that God has given us. I want to read this verse uh, again that we started with in the beginning. The report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. <laughs> so imagine if you were really busy doing a lot of service, like among the poor. Say you, say you went with Joshua and you were uh, helping the homeless, and then... Um, Say about an hour and a half into it, you're having great conversations and the poor kept coming and they're like, we want you know, food and we want to talk to you about this savior. And you're like, you know what? I need to go because I'm going to go be with my father and pray. Just imagine how shocking that would be and like how inappropriate. Like what, we're here serving the poor. Like what are you doing leaving? Uh, and, and Jesus would spend a ton of time serving and healing, but then he would actually cut people off when they were still waiting for more and he would draw away to be alone with his father to pray. And, and you're thinking, like, he's only got three years to do public ministry, and he knows it. He seems to be very well aware, even when he starts, that he doesn't have much time. He knows that he's going to his death. He knows he's going to be killed by the leaders. And uh, yet he still spends a really significant amount of his three years in prayer alone. And I think the American spirit would be like, get yourself to Rome and, like, make the biggest deal and the biggest difference you can right away. But Jesus instead just keeps healing and serving and teaching, but then also drawing away to be with his father. I was reading of a a great church leader of the past who was once so busy that he decided to spend the first three hours of his day in prayer. And I just kind of laughed at that. Like, that's the inverse of how we act, right? We're always like, well, I'm too busy, so I I won't spend any time in prayer. But he was so busy, he's like, I'm so busy, I need to spend the first three hours of my day in prayer or I won't get anything done. I won't accomplish these goals. So I think there's something here, something that modern people miss about the importance of spiritual disciplines. I don't necessarily love the term spiritual discipline, but I thought, you know what, let's go with it because I get it. Like, they actually do take a bit of discipline. Just like exercising is, uh, in, a, in, in one way, it's hard, but I've, I've never met anyone short of an injury. I've never met anyone who's gotten done exercising and been like, man, 
I wish I had just been sitting and not doing that exercise. Like, everyone after doing the exercise, right, we're so proud of ourselves for having done the exercise, uh, and no one regrets it. And just like exercise or good sleep or eating well, spiritual disciplines are of so much more value. And by this, I'm thinking prayer, you know, fasting. Wow, that's a hard one in America, right? Uh, fasting, um, solitude, silence, Bible memorization. There's tons of spiritual disciplines. Those are just some of the big ones that come to mind. Uh, but just like exercise or sleeping, you know, eating well, they, there's huge rewards for us, even in the here and now, but also our, our souls, our spiritual lives are so much more healthy when we're engaged in spiritual disciplines. And you might wonder, well, well, why? And it's because God literally made us to be in relationship with him. He made us to be in relationship with one another, but more so to be in relationship to God. And Jesus shows us this, that we can't can't continue on a healthy plane even if we're divine, which we're not. Jesus was, but he even drew away. Here he is, like the Trinity, you know, the mysteries there are complex, but here he is in a sense, God himself, but he's also drawing away to go pray to God at the same time. Like, how much more important for us who are just, you know, regular old humans? Um, we have a, uh, a God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped hole in our souls, and if, if we don't fill that with God, then we'll sense that lack, and people will go, they'll scatter themselves to the four winds looking for something to fill that vacuum, to fill that hole. And it's because we're worshipers at heart. God made us to be worshipers. I think I read once that 98% of the world is religious in some way, shape, or form. Like, atheism is a very strange thing to the human condition, Uh, and even atheists worship something. But the question is, what do you worship? And if you look around at our society, if people aren't worshiping God, there are some, some first choices still. I see technology as as, as something that people worship. Progress, uh, sexual conquest, success, power, fitness, health, status, or celebrity, and even in the church you see this, the, the idea of the family can be, there can be a familyolatry, right, like an idolatry of the family. Or, do you worship God? And as a human being, you will worship something because it is the human condition. We are created with this God-shaped vacuum in our souls, and people will find something to give their lives to and to worship. The question is, is it healthy Is it God, or is it something that's broken? Is it an an idol that doesn't deliver? I'd say the overwhelming narrative in uh, in America and and, and maybe elsewhere in the uh, Western world is just to work and to overwork and to work some more. It's either to get famous or to get rich or somehow to be like an influencer. You know, it's kind of the new thing, a momfluencer. They've got all these like mashups of the word, Uh, CrossFit fluencer, all all the rest. Anyway. Only my wife is laughing at me. That's a sign. You've got to watch out. Um, <laughs> but Jesus challenges like this like we wouldn't believe. Um, while being worshipped, I, I just like hear Jesus is healing, but while being worshipped, he's like, no, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this off because I'm out of balance. I need to go away and be with my father. And so what does, that, what does that make you think about our priorities, right, as we're busy with our busy, busy days? If Jesus can draw away, we maybe think, man, maybe we ought to as well. And the Capital City Church, we, one of our main goals is to be a balm to, to the world. We want to be a stream of living water in what we see as a, a kind of a dry and dusty land that's lacking community, that's lacking love, that doesn't have real or abundant life. But we can't set up an ice water stand in the middle of the desert unless we actually have some kind of access to a source of water. And I think a lot of people are just going to like the mud puddle in the desert and kind of like stirring it up a bunch. Like, well, maybe if we stir up the muck, we can kind of rebrand it and then have something to give. 
but without a, a, a way back to the source, we really have nothing to give. If we want to ever mimic Jesus' outer life of love to the poor and the marginalized, um, it's hard to do that on your own strength. Like, like Joshua was mentioning before, there's a reason that we're maybe not born comfortable with that. It's something that we need to follow our, our Lord in and, and become comfortable with and, and learn to grow in. And if we're not stepping into that inner life of Jesus, if we're not with him in prayer, then we often just look the other way and move on with our lives and live in the suburbs and don't think about the poor or the homeless. There's this, um, there's a section in John 15 where Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And he's told us clearly, if we do not remain or abide in him, that word abide has kind of been ruined. What is that one movie, right? Like the dude abides, right? That everyone, you can't hear the word abide anymore. So the, I'm, I'm using remain in this translation. That if we don't remain in Jesus, like a leaf remains sort of attached to a vine, then we'll die and wither. Just like any plant that's cut off from its root will just kind of tumble along, seeming alive and healthy and beautiful for a while, but eventually just turning to dry dust, ready to be crumpled underfoot. But as Americans, I don't know if you notice this, I think we often try to cultivate spiritual fruit even while severed from the source of the Spirit. People, they want to get the fruit, spiritual fruits, without actually doing any sort of cultivating or hard work of, you know, think of what you'd actually have to do on a farm, right? Plowing, weeding, like in a garden, planting, watering. Uh, people don't do this in their own spiritual lives because they just want the fruit really for no cost or just to adjust a, a couple of things quick and then have spiritual fruit in their life. But if you ever see fruit that you didn't actually do anything or that no one really did anything to work for, it's often just stuff that's fallen from a tree on the ground, right? And sometimes you get lucky, but oftentimes if fruit is just laying there on the ground, then either a worm has beaten you to it or it's rotten. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the video of these deer that are eating apples off the ground. Do you guys know the video I'm talking about? Apples, a bunch of apples had fallen from the tree and had been sitting there for a number of days, and the temperature must have been just right because the apples fermented. They weren't like, it wasn't like no one was making a liquor out of it, but the apples themselves fermented. So there's this video out there, you could Google it later, of a bunch of deer just be, becoming totally intoxicated off these apples <laughs> that had fallen on the ground. Um, and I think of that when I think of people wanting spiritual fruit without actually wanting to do any of the spiritual discipline to get there. You often end up with these wormy, you know, uh, <laughs> fermented apples. It's a great video. You should check it out. Uh, <laughs> apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We need more of God. We need more time. We need more prayer, more solitude, more early mornings, late nights, more lunch hours. A lot of great Christian leaders of the past, I, you know, God help them, they would wake up. I don't know how they would do this. We're probably chronically underslept, but they would wake up in the middle of the night just to spend a couple of hours in prayer. Uh, this is before alarm clocks and everything. So they would wake up at 2 or 3 a.m. just to spend time in prayer. Something we need to do is we need to choke out the noise that's suffocating us and that's severing us from the vine, from the source of life. We need to cultivate a life that has more space for silence and solitude. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, that the Holy Spirit, that sort of still, small voice, the, the conscience that you have from God will, um, will speak to you often in whispers. But if you've tuned your, your noise level to not be able to hear anything louder than a scream, then you're going to be missing the kind of still, small leadings of, of, of what you're hearing. 
Um, one writer put it that silence is not empty space, but unproductive space. Uh, or rather, sorry, it's not empty space or unproductive space, but rather fertile ground for intimacy with God. Um, I don't know if you, if you ever put this together, that Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days in the desert before starting his, his public ministry. Uh, and it was essentially 40 days of solitude. There was some, some tempting in there as well that he had to go through. But for the most part, this was 40 days for him uh, to go through this period of solitude and um, be with God. And uh, if you, uh, I don't know if you've, you've had this happen to you, that if your career is going well or something in your life is going well and people really praise you, you can, you can feel great about that. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that. That's great. Then all of a sudden, your career or something takes a turn and everything's kind of down to the dumps and, and people might blame you or say bad things about you and you're like, well, I accepted the other stuff. Now, does that mean that this is true too? And you get all confused. And um, I've just, I've found that if we don't have a, um, a relationship with God, if we're not drawing away in solitude to actually know him, then we often don't have that buffer against the ups and downs that just come for the, the, just the happenstance of human life. Sometimes life goes well for you, and it's really not that you did something great or not. Sometimes just the dice are just rolled well, and things go well for you. You know, the, uh, positions open up, you're you know, college essay gets accepted, whatever it is. Sometimes things just happen, sometimes they don't. And it's not like karma. It's not like you did like the right stuff. It's just sometimes the sun smiles on, or the, the sun shines on, on the good and then on those who are not good and, then, and vice versa. And I've just thought that, you know, if you don't have this solitude, if you don't have time with God, you're kind of subject to just the ups and downs of life. And it actually made me think about our city. Um, I don't know if you've known this, but... Um, you've probably heard this, that maritime cities, cities that are right by the coast, tend to have a much gentler weather pattern. Like a good 30 or 40 degrees of the worst of winter will be cut off, and some of like the 10 or 20 degrees of summer will be cut off. You'll just have a more gentle climate. We had this when we lived in Lisbon, Portugal. You know, people who've been to San Francisco or Portland or Seattle have faced similar. And uh, I think that you know, we're a little bit more hardy, I think, in our bodies, like with being able to wear jackets or whatever. But I think our emotions are kind of like um, kind of like a climate, right? That we can go through these psychologically healthy and unhealthy times, but if we have hiked ourselves to Minnesota 2,000 miles from the nearest ocean, then we have nothing to protect us from those highs and lows, right? So we're, we're fine here. You know, we got our jackets and we're hardy and we're proud of it. Um, but I see the uh, time with God's spiritual disciplines are kind of like having a giant ocean right next to your city. It kind of tempers the highs and lows of life and keeps things a little bit more in a... Uh, maybe a healthy, livable uh, climate. So we want to be a church that prays. And I have, I have a few different applications here. This is, um, again, this is, weird. this is weird for me to preach like this, but I thought we did five or six messages that weren't like crazy in your face applications. So I was like, I want to do two that are just like super practical, how you can live your faith differently right now. Um, so this is the second of those two. So here are some applications that we might try. I'm not saying you have to do this, but something to think about um, I encourage you to open yourself up to this idea. So some ideas. Take a Sabbath day, a, a rest day from media. Take a day where you consume almost no media at all. Maybe some background music that doesn't have like words in it and some sort of message that they're trying to sell you. Uh, but take a Sabbath day from media. Instead, go for a prayer walk. Memorize a passage of scripture. Pray. Seek some kind of solitude and silence. Here's a hard one. Delete your social media apps. Not forever, don't delete your accounts, just the app, just the thing on the phone that like creates this you know, quick 
uh, you know, hijacked, you know, shortcut into your media apps. Because it's always Facebook and Twitter or Instagram, whatever, they're pinging you with these, just begging for attention all day. Delete the app. Keep your account open. You can still get into it through the browser. But try deleting your media or your social media apps for a week and just see how you feel at the end of it. Uh, there is a pound for pound pure correlation between how much time we spend on social media and how unhealthy we are uh, psychologically. And it's not just a correlation, like, oh, people who don't have a very good, like, uh, mental health, like to spend more time on social media. No, social media makes you less healthy mentally. So think about this. Delete your apps for a week and see how you feel at the end of it. Uh, most people I've ever known who've done that have not reinstalled the apps afterward. They'll keep the account maybe, but they don't reinstall the app. Try this. When you get home for the day, whenever that is, try putting your phone in a corner far away from where your sort of living space is. Just plug it in and let it rest. Um, you know, maybe check it every couple hours if you're worried about whatever, you know, text message or whatever that might come through. But leave your phone in another room or in the corner. Replace that time that you would spend otherwise just itching and like checking for the feed. Like, what did Trump do in the last five seconds? I gotta know. Um, instead, spend that time <laughs> with prayer, with Bible reading. Take back your life is essentially what I'm saying. If you remember just a few words from this sermon, maybe, maybe that could be part of it. Although it should be something more like about like emulate Jesus. But if you remember a second phrase, take back your life. Um, replace that time with some actual solitude, pondering the Lord while you sit on the couch, pondering what it means to be human, why you're here, why you exist. Uh, here's another idea. Take one day each week where you don't watch any Netflix or any other streamed television or any kind of television. Um, and then, if you're really gung-ho, try giving it up for all of Lent. Some Christian cr traditions practice Lent, some don't. It's about a 40-day period uh, just leading up to Easter. Try giving up television for all of Lent and uh, get some of your soul back. <laughs> try prayer walks. Um, what's interesting is um, in the Bible, Jesus says to go into your room and close the door and pray. Uh, I wrote an article for Desiring God once, and I think this is really funny. I opened the article with, this is the first time on Desiring God we're ever going to tell you not to do something Jesus said. Uh, and it was like just a catchy way to open it, because so, I was going to say, um, don't pray in your room. That's also, that's like the most distracted place on earth now with all the social media and everything. You know, like in the ancient world, in your room, no one was there, but outside was the market and everyone you'd ever known, whereas now it's flipped. If you go outside, you won't see anyone you know, and if you see somebody, you won't know them. Um, so I was writing this post about, like, get outside and do a prayer walk, because that's actually kind of the closest thing to being in a room with the door closed, you know, so you're actually following the heart of Scripture without actually following the whatever. I, but what's funny is uh, they put it up, and within 20 minutes, they didn't notify me of this at all, but within 20 minutes, the whole first paragraph is just cut from the post, because someone must have had an issue with it saying, like, do something Jesus told you not to do. Um, and what's terrible is they didn't give me a chance to write a different intro to it. So it just starts with the second paragraph, and it's like, that's not an opening paragraph. Anyway, so I always remember that when I think about prayer walks. Um, try Bible memorization. Uh, we, we are like allergic to memorizing anything, unless it's songs on the radio we heard on Top 40 when we were kids. That will memorize everything else. We're like, oh, terrifying. Uh, Bible memorization, in my opinion, has been the most influential uh, spiritual discipline than I've ever done. Uh, sadly, I haven't done much of it at all for almost well over 10 years, but what I have done has helped to kind of cut the channels and the rocks of my mind that the water has continued to flow through ever since. So when you do Bible memorization, it's like it digs a ditch in your brain through which the water will continue to flow long after you've done the work. It's like, it's like culture making for the way that you think. Uh, it's amazing. So I'd highly recommend it. Uh, 
If you have the time, if you can spare it, I uh, highly encourage you to do a prayer retreat. There are plenty of centers around the Twin Cities just outside of it where you can do, yeah, maybe Joshua knows the names of some that he could tell you later. I forget the names. Um, one is Latin. It's like peace on earth, pace and terda, or whatever. I don't know Latin. Um, you can go there for two or three days for really cheap, and the idea is to unplug and just spend time in prayer. And lastly, I'd recommend fasting. Um, that's, even people who talk a lot about spiritual disciplines tend not to fast. It's like, whoa, like Americans are not comfortable with fasting. Uh, and I've not done it much at all, um, as you can tell. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I uh, maybe be thinking on that. I'd love to talk to some of you who've done this. Um, I think it'd be something to grow in and actually try sometime as a church. Um, it, it was part of the church life forever to take a day to fast or, or even a week at times, which to me is just crazy. Um, but it's a, really, it's a really important moment to be able to say, you know what, even the rhythms of food I will give up in order to be closer to God. That's just, I think that's amazing. I don't have much experience with it, but I know that it's one of the disciplines that Jesus and his disciples and the early church would engage in often. So the goal isn't to be an ascetic. The goal isn't to, you know, find yourself. It's to find God and to know him. So I'll conclude with this, that in Jesus, we, we have the, his perfect life, his, his perfect death, and his perfect resurrection. He modeled for us how we need to love others, how we love the poor, how we love those who aren't as fortunate as, as us. But he also modeled how to live in community together and how to, what it means to have a healthy relationship with God individually. And uh, almost shockingly, he showed us what it is to have margin in our life. So we're drawing away from, from work and from other things, even from ministry at times, in order to cultivate a healthy relationship with God. He didn't squeeze prayer time in while he was going for a jog or, you know, while on his morning commute. But he actually dedicated special time for it. He, he, in a sense, he put it in his ancient calendar to get away. He would pray all through the night. Sometimes he would leave before dawn and go pray. And he taught us to remain in him, to abide in, in him in prayer, and that apart from him, we can do nothing. So I just want to encourage us as Capital City Church to... Uh, reawaken this spiritual discipline, especially of prayer, but of finding the moments to pray. You know, some people are like, oh, I'll pray quick in my car on the commute, but I also will listen to my morning show because it's great. Um, but like actually take the time, put it in your mental space, your mental calendar to pray. And I think an easy way to start, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to be like St. Thomas Aquinas right away, um, but to just take five or 10 minutes in the morning to pray before you leave for work and actually just like sit down and do just that is really helpful. So that's my challenge to you this week. Think on some of the other things I just mentioned with deleting your apps or taking time or whatever. Uh, but also just pray five or ten minutes before you leave the house in the morning and see what that does. Um, let me pray for us now uh, to close. Um, Lord, we, uh, we thank you so much for modeling what it is to have a healthy one-on-one -on -one relationship with you. Uh, we pray that you would give us the discipline, give us the strength uh, to lead out in that and to, to spend time with you, to do prayer walks, to turn off the noise, to hide our phone in the other room, to delete our apps, whatever it might take, uh, so that we can get to know you better and uh, spend time with your word, spend time with you, and uh, claim a little bit of that um, healthy spiritual life back that we might have had before all the noise crept in. Uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, I won't call Dorkham up because I've gone a little bit over the time. So join us downstairs for refreshments afterward. Thank you guys so much for coming.